Hello and welcome back to Complexity Unpacked with Professor G. In this series, I'm going to be tackling and unpacking some of the issues relating to diversity. So stay tuned over the next several episodes as we unpack this ever controversial subject. All right, so let's get started then. The subject of diversity at first glance seems simplistic and perhaps all too familiar, and there are perfectly understandable reasons why this may be the case. It is a subject, after all, that has been discussed from elementary school all the way up to post-secondary. It is one we talk about in workplaces. It is one we talk about at social gatherings and at social events. It dominates the media. It is the subject that probably gets the most viral videos, retweets, and social media traffic. Why is that the case? For a long time, people have argued that we are past all the injustices of history. And we are in, we're living in a time when everybody can enjoy life more equally. Conversely, there are other groups of people that will point out that society's structures have been influenced by the past. And that past has had a real impact on people's present lives. Now, where do we go from here? It all starts with defining the purpose of this series. For me, we can dwell on any number of subjects, and we can take any number of angles to tackle the subject. So I want to be clear about what my purpose is in building out this series. And I want to be very clear about why I'm doing it. So the perspective that I'm taking is informational. I'm not looking to convince anybody necessarily that my opinion is right. I do believe very strongly that it is not the role of an educator to indoctrinate the students in your class. My perspective is just that. It's informed by my personal lived history. It's informed by my knowledge, by my reading, by my experiences, and so on. That is not to say that it's not valid only to say that it is influenced by a, by a variety of factors that are unique to me. Now, some of those unique factors are shared by other people, but not all, and I recognize that coming out the gate. So what then is the path forward? For me, I need to recognize that everybody has different lived experiences, and they approach this subject from different perspectives. Their own life history, the depth of their own knowledge, will determine their views. And that's okay. See, I don't have an agenda here. My, my simple objective is to present objective information regardless of how I feel about it. To me, that is the beauty of diversity. Not diversity just from the perspective of visual difference, but diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, a willingness, if you will, to entertain more than one thought in our heads without necessarily agreeing with all of them. That's, I think, how we get to a place of better understanding. I have been fortunate over my 16-year teaching career to have had the opportunity to teach diversity classes to a variety of students in a variety of disciplines. St 
student reception to the subject has varied greatly in my experience. Most commonly, the reactions can be sorted into three distinct groups. The first group is generally characterized by a general been there, done that attitude. The subject in their estimation has been discussed to death and the takeaway is pretty much always that line that's famously attributed to Rodney King, can't we all just get along? For this group, the subject is one that is usually neatly packaged for us in a neat Canadianism that we're accustomed to. The Canada as a mosaic, a rich tapestry of interwoven cultures and traditions peacefully coexisting in our progressive country, a beacon, an example for the world. So for this group, it is our affirmation, if you will, of our social values. And it's enough to leave it there. And they're willing to participate in the conversation because the conversation has occurred many times in their life. Now I have a second group of students. And they often see this slightly differently. They see diversity as this necessary mea culpa moment that every school program and social institution and workplace must include. From their perspective, it's an act of contrition for past injustices stemming from white privilege and the dominant system of patriarchy. They usually view this as the anachronistic guilt of previous generations who have already brought them to the post-racial epoch. For them, this is a mandatory penance that must be enacted. Presentations about the subjugation of various people, the role of colonization, capitalism, and power imbalance. And finally, the social justice efforts that have restored human dignity in our society. So when you take it from that perspective, they see this as necessary, but a highlighting of the past, and perhaps with the noble intent of not repeating it again in the future. Still, it's with an agenda. Now, I often have a third group of students. And this third and final group that I'll talk about here sees this topic more as a politically charged one. It is for them where their lived experiences get to take priority over perhaps the academic rigor that is demanded of them in developing any other theory. Right? We put a tremendous amount of weight in the lived experiences of people. It almost feels to some of them like it's an opportunity to engage in apparent academically encouraged conflict, a chance to finally utilize that stockpile of euphemisms uh, that they have gathered through you know, social, video, uh, social justice viral videos. And here's the truth, I don't wanna judge any one of those groups because each one of them comes to this with a level of honesty that we might not wanna acknowledge. See, all three groups, in my estimation, possess a kernel of truth. And their attitudinal dispositions are not way out of left field. Diversity education has been all of those things and then some in various settings. The topic is definitely ubiquitous, and the socially accepted manner in which it is to be received and internalized almost seems to be imposed. But that's not how we get to a full education. Right? A full education recognizes that different perspectives might not agree. And I think that the role here would be to be informed, to try and take an objective look, both at the past and the present, but also to be objective in why people believe the things they do. Because it is in knowing and being aware of other people's perspectives that we can develop a truly more diverse appreciation for all people in society. 
Now, this comes across as a little controversial, which in many ways is unfortunate in itself. Controversial because there's usually an accepted way to teach this content, and there's an accepted way to think about this content. And anybody that pushes the norm on how we deliver it sort of finds themselves in a sticky situation. One where you're making people uncomfortable. But the fact of the matter is history can be uncomfortable. The present can't be uncomfortable. And if we just refuse to talk about it, then we get stuck in a polarized binary where there's only extremes. To me, education is about objectivity. It's about the transfer of knowledge without the indoctrination and the passing on of the instructor or professor's views. The professor, in my mind, is an instrument that conveys information that's well-researched, well-supported, and well-evidenced. That is the purpose of this series. I'm going to explore a variety of factors that have ranged through history, through time, and through experience. And my hope is that by the time I'm done this series, people might not agree with everything I've presented. I know I surely won't. But they will see it as honest and objective and perhaps learn something from it. And in that learning, perhaps we can develop a better understanding of diverse societies, how they impact upon us, our thoughts, and our interactions. It's in that willingness to have that open discussion where diversity has its greatest value. So let's start with trying to define the subject, first of all, so that we're all on the same page, right? Because the social convention surrounding the topic has lived through various iterations and has been influenced by a whole variety of sociological factors, right? And my previous statement there is not intended to negate the relevance of each iteration, but rather to argue the fact that human perception is infinitely malleable and constantly evolving. So what we think about a subject, what a subject means to us socially, changes with time. How we define and talk about something changes and evolves over time. So my intention here is to sort of lay out a few ways that diversity has often been defined and then try and figure out what is the best approach for us to look at it. So linguistically, diversity is defined by the uh, dictionary as a state of being diverse, a variety. And so there's no value judgment in that statement. It just merely means that there's differences and different things that exist. But obviously that's not sufficient. So sociologically, it is meant to consider the practice or quality of including and involving people from a range of different social and ethnic backgrounds and of different genders, sexual orientations, etc. From a sociological perspective, we're primarily concerned with broad social categories that are identifiable. And they usually include an element of shared experience and identity. If you consider diversity politically, then it has to get viewed through a slightly different lens. So politically, it's looked as uh, it's it's considered an issue about resource allocation and access to programs and access to policies. It is the subject that sort of drives policy decisions and the formation of legislation, the maintenance of legislation, and the amendment of legislation. 
It's about meeting the needs of a diverse constituency. And then lastly, there's a legal perspective. The legal perspective deals with rights and privileges of citizens and constraints placed on social functioning in any given society. In a Canadian context, it is further entrenched in our Constitution and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that recognizes the diversity of Canadians as regards to race, national or ethnic origin, colour and religion as a fundamental characteristic of Canadian society. And, it, and the Government of Canada is committed to a policy of multiculturalism designed to preserve and enhance the multicultural heritage of Canadians while working to achieve the equality of all Canadians in the economic, social, cultural and political realm of life in Canada. Now, the one definition that I did not talk about yet, that is probably the most controversial, is that of biology. There was a time period in which the conversation, especially about race, primarily centered around a biological view. Now, in this view, people were inherently different. This view takes the perspective of a hierarchy, right? And the hierarchy is based on race or skin color. Really, it was superficial differences between humans that formed the basis of this view. In that modern context, though, it's uh, highly problematic because science has shown us very carefully that the concept of race is really merely a social construct rather than a biological determinant. This, of course, leads to other problems because to say that race is only a social construct seems to dismiss the experience of people who have been racialized. That's not the intent here. Right? It is entirely possible and it's highly likely that a history of oppression and common experiences of marginalization have helped contribute and shape a minority identity. So the social experience of race is equally valid even if the biological basis has to fall away because it's just factually incorrect. Just as a little aside though, as a point of historical reference, the term ethnic actually comes from the Greek word ethnos, which means heathen nation or people not converted to Christianity. Now obviously we don't use that definition anymore. In its contemporary usage, ethnic commonly conveys the notion of people of a common heritage. But it's always interesting to go back in time and see how things change. And this is just one more example of how there's been linguistic differences over and above social differences. I will say this about biology, though. At a biological level, we have evolved to be social creatures. Our ability to cooperate and build relationships made the odds of our survival through our history a lot more likely. And over thousands of years, that impulse has been hardwired into our nervous system. So the idea that we are social beings should give us even more reason to celebrate the diversity that exists within our human species. We have spent a lot of time and energy on the formation of the Canadian identity and our commitment to the concept of diversity. Canada, though, has not been spared from dealing with challenges of living in a diverse society. Complex and often unjust histories of marginalization and oppression have shaped the cultural identities of many groups of Canadians. Those histories have created divisions between groups in the past and in the present. The manner in which those divisions have been experienced has changed and evolved over time for sure. 
but a claim that we live in a post-racial society seems utopian at best. At least it is not supported by the preponderance of social issues and struggles we still see at play in our society. Now surely some of those struggles are generally viewed as just mere attempts to adjudicate the past. But many are the byproducts of structural conditions that continue to cause divisions in the lived experiences of Canadians today. So while we celebrate the idea of diversity, it is not without its challenges. And that's really what we're here to talk about. So in terms of operationalizing our definition, we are probably focusing a little bit more on a historical and social view of diversity. And the idea in the next several episodes is to unpack the history of the various people that people this land and consider how their interactions, the laws and their social conditions evolved and changed over time to bring us to our present day. What I hope to do here is give an objective and fair reading to everyone's history. But history is important because in understanding our histories, all of them, or at least as many as we can cover in a reasonable period of time, maybe we will grow to have a better understanding of the various factors that have led people to form both their identities but also their perceptions. And in so doing, maybe we can take the first step towards utilizing diversity as a conversation point for progress rather than as a means for retributive justice. Now that is not to say that some people don't feel strongly about it, and I'm not trying to diminish the need for justice. But for my purposes here, my motivation, if you will, for running this podcast and for you know offering this content, is really not to take a value-based statement or a value-based position, but rather to lay out the facts as we know them to be and then let people evaluate how best to utilize them. So in final conclusion, let's just understand that diversity is not experienced similarly by everybody. Even here in Canada, the rural experience is different than the urban experience, right? The centers within our, within our country where there is a greater uh, diversity in our population does change the lived experiences and the exposures that people have. So let me conclude by sort of putting this in, in perspective. Why does it matter that we have the ability to just get along like I opened with? Well, perhaps that's because today immigrants represent over 20% of the total Canadian population. That's the highest proportion among any of the G8 countries. According to Statistics Canada, the majority of Canada's foreign-born population reside in Ontario, British Columbia, Quebec, and Alberta. And most of them live in large urban centers. So being here in Ontario, Canada, this is a lived reality for us that we will encounter every day. And for those of my students that want to go into policing, this is the reality of the society in which you will be policing. In fact, Statistics Canada projects that by the year 2031, which is really not that far away, between 25 to 28 percent of the of the population will be foreign-born, and 29 to 32 percent of the population will belong to a visible minority group, right? So all those visible minorities, as I already indicated, tend to be sort of centrally located in about four provinces in this country. And visible minorities are expected to account for about 63% of the population of Toronto, 59% of the population of Vancouver, and somewhere around 31% of Montreal by 2031. 
given this reality, there's good reason to know a little bit more about the people we share our society with. And that's what we'll unpack in the episodes to come. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode that will be coming soon. 